You're listening to Conscious Living Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver, Co-op Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm Tasha Sims. And I'm Mark Cron. And tonight we're talking, 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 talking about talking, right? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> How have you been? I'm great. I'm, I'm actually excited about the show tonight because it's one of my favorite topics. I just, I, I love what we're going to be talking about. Words, so, talking, words, impact, language, all, all of that, that fun stuff. And we've got a great guest on tonight, so I, I look forward to see where and, this is going to go. And it is amazing how people are um, not necessarily awake to how they talk. Yeah, right. exactly. So we're diving into that. Tonight's guest is Ellie. Hang on, what about our good news? <gasps> I came with good news. Oh my God, mm. I'm going to make some up because right. honestly, I'm you know, I'm leaving town tomorrow. Yeah. It has been, when you have so many things to take care of and it just feels like my brain is popping from one to the other to the other, I guess the word would be scattered <laughs> if I was to pick a word that is probably not that helpful, unless it was more like popcorn. Here, I like popcorn. Maybe we'll dive kind into of that popcorning later. around. All right, go with okay. your good news. Well, I apologize. Good, I'm going to make some up. The, the good news, it was actually on, on the news last night, and I heard about a third party, and it was about a 90-year-old woman who fell outside of her home grabbing something off her porch and she couldn't get back in and she ended up laying on her um she crawled in to her like landing floor like where she first comes in and that's where she stayed all night with the door open and it wasn't until the next morning two children on their way to school saw the door open and they heard something and they went in and they actually saved this woman Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. good news. I thought it was great news. Just nice to see kids paying attention to what's going on around them and taking some action. So I thought that was a little heartwarming. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got to make something up on the fly. I'm kind of going, hmm. Okay. I went, I took my dog to the vet. I took Lucy into the vet for just annual. And that's not always good news. It's not, oh, it was fine. It's like her vaccinations and stuff. And, but here's the good news. Kind of, I think we started talking about. Um, losing your pet and when your pet we have to put your pet down I'm talking to the veterinarian about that whole process and she was saying that it's too it's too much like it's too much for her to handle and she felt with her clients that she wishes she could give more but she's got to move on to the next dog and I said well funny you should mention that because grief work is grief work whether you're dealing with humans or dealing with vets or with um, dogs pets and she said can I have your card (laughs) <laughs> and I went, absolutely. So it looks like I'm sidebarring into um, working pet, with people who've lost pet their pets. Pet, well, that's right. There we go. Well, cool, good right? News. Good yeah, news. Awesome. <laughs> well, we'll just do one piece today. Let's dive into let's our dive show in. and, and I'll let you uh, introduce our guest. Okay. LA-based quantum languaging coach consultant, Danny Katz. She's written about art, sex, consciousness, and visionary transformative culture for the LA Weekly, as well as contributed to dozens of publications, including the LA Times, Teen Vogue, LA Yoga, and Whole Life Times Magazine. She's also the author of a book called Word Up, Little Languaging Hacks for Big Change. And her book is full of really cool, simple communication tools, tweaks that shed light on the ways that we unconsciously are impacted by the language we use and the vibrational codes embedded within our words. She's going to be offering workshops at the end of April in Vancouver, and we're diving in tonight exploring how language can either inspire us or deflate us and how that choice reflects in the kind of life we live. Welcome to the show, Danny. Oh, are you there? Did we lose you? 
We're going to press one button and like magic, there will Danny be. Or not. Or not. Did we lose her? Did we get cut off? It doesn't look like it, but she's not there. Let's see what we can do to um, get her back. Okay. So, Danny, maybe you can give us a, a try us again. We had you there on hold, but you don't seem to be coming through. If you can hang up and give us a call back. All right. We'll go into a song until we uh, get her back. Awesome. There we go. See if she's there. Hello. Hello. Oh, oh good. Go. Great. <laughs> what was the problem there, Mark? Uh, I was the problem. There's a button <laughs> that I did not push. <laughs> Hi, Danny. You could hear us, though, right? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, so let's dive right in. I know our listeners are super excited talking about language creating our reality. How does that happen? Um, well, language is the fundamental building block of our reality. It um, shapes how our brains perceive information. Um, it shapes how our subconscious minds choose to organize and experience reality. And it acts as instructions to the universe with whom we are in a co-creative relationship with. And isn't it subjective, meaning that certain words for certain people would mean one thing, therefore they would feel a certain way about it, and it would impact them that way, whereas someone else, and, and the thing I was talking to Mark about was, um, like, for example, sick. Okay, so sick has connotations of illness, and yet it's also in current culture, certainly drag culture, kind of a word where, you know, somebody's got the most awesome gown in the world, and they go, that's really sick, that's so sickening. So, how how relevant is the meaning that one attaches to the impact that the word would have? That's such a great question. Um, so when we're dealing with um, intellectual connotation, right, with how the brain chooses to translate the words, yeah. then the subjective definitions... Um, our subjective associations definitely have an effect on, on how, like, what we're taking that communication to mean. And my work, quantum languaging, goes a little bit deeper um, to say that every word has its own unique vibrational code. And that coding is going to be informed by, A, the etymology, right, and, like, our, our sort of pre-drag culture um, <laughs> you know, societal agreement as to what that word refers to. And then that information has various effects on the emotional body, the psychological body, and the spiritual body. So if, if like, I'm talking to someone who grew up as a quote-unquote sick child, mm -hmm. and so when they hear the word sick, their psyche and their emotional body um, get triggered as far as their own experience. That's going to inform how they take that word and what they what they do with it as far as their psyche, their emotions, their intellect, and their spiritual body. Right. So you're talking about it being held in the subconscious, even though consciously one might think this is really fun and frolicking, that, that there's still an impact subconsciously. Is that what you're saying? Oh, totally. 
Totally. Like, oftentimes I'll hear in my community people say, like, oh, he killed it. You know, like, yeah, he did yeah. a great dance or had a great performance. Yeah. And I bristle because, like, there's the, the aspect of me that I understand that it sounds great and, um, and I understand what they're saying. And at the same time, it's also seeding our collective reality with this right. murderous vibration. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're all happening at the same time. And just because we have, you know, a sort of hyper cultural understanding of, no, that's not what we meant. Those other pieces are still being triggered. Right. And these vibrational frequencies, how are they getting encoded within our words? Is it simply through repetition? Um, well, repetition is, yes, repetition is absolutely a part of it, but a part of it, and there are also, there's like hidden meaning, meaning in the entomology and in the Latin, and so, um, like, this, this is a total out there example, but this is the first one that popped into my head, the word government comes from the Latin word gubernare, um, and so goober means to control. <laughs> and, um, excuse me, goober, so it comes from gubernare, which means to control, and then mens, meant, means the mind. So the literal meaning of government, according to the Latin, is mind control. Wow. Um, even though the conscious mind doesn't know that, the intellect doesn't know that, the programming and the vibrational frequencies that are, that are associated with that phrase mind control are definitely embedded in government in the word and then of course in how it expresses and is structured in our reality wow that's a very cool example it's a great example because isn't that kind of what some of us think government does right? <laughs> yes yeah, <that's> awesome. <laughs> would, would like to do you mean yeah yeah well you know some, maybe it, some it does and some, some it does. Would, they would like to <laughs> so can we explore what makes um specifically words that are empowering and others that are, you know, not so much. Can we kind of dive into it and give our listeners a really practical takeaway from this hour that we've got together? Yes, for sure. So I'm very attuned to where hierarchy slips into language and where we have speech patterns that um, maybe place us below other people or below certain circumstances. Um, and I find those instances to be disempowering. So um, one example would be the word can't. Like if you invited me out for, you know, to play racquetball after work and I said, oh, I can't, you know, I have to do my taxes. So in languaging my choice, which is to do my taxes instead of hanging out with you, as I can't, I've just disempowered myself mm-hmm. to this this beast called my taxes, right? And so now I've created a contentious relationship where taxes have authority over me and I'm not free to do what I really want to do, when the reality is everything is a choice, right? I can choose to, to screw off on my taxes and send them in late and incur the penalties. That's a choice that I have, or I can make the empowered choice of like, no, I'm actually going to take care of what I need to take care of, and then I'll play racquetball with you a different time. So from the switch would be from instead of I can't is um, I'm not going to do that or I have a different plan to simply language it in the neutral instead of languaging it in such a way where we're victims to our circumstance. Mm -hmm. It creates an infinitely more um, empowering stance towards life in general. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, total sense. makes complete sense to me because you just described my weekend (laughs) last weekend. (laughs) 
slave to the taxes? Yeah, yeah. I made a commitment, and uh, you know, there's things I would have preferred to be doing because it's the least favorite thing however i chose to honor my commitment all right that's yeah. good you said yeah. it right good for you way to show up for yourself well as you were talking my head was nodding going you mean i'm not a slave to my tux no no kidding <laughs> but no, that is the, what it feels remember, like that comes back to mind control yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm letting them <laughs> okay so when we talk about the subconscious uh, my understanding um, is that it really does not read or trace or track negative. So that if you're wanting to create a change, you don't say, "I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to eat butter tarts anymore." Oh no, that's a stupid example. Give me a better one. Uh, I'm not going to <laughs> yell at Mark because then the the my unconscious would be saying, I am going to yell at Mark. It's as if you could drop that one word. Is that your take on it too? How, what's your view on how the subconscious um, or unconscious uh, receives and perceives language? Yes, that, that's exactly right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's straight up uh, brain science. The, the subconscious mind is super literal. So it doesn't understand negatives. It doesn't understand nuance. It doesn't understand sarcasm. Um, so it doesn't hear, I'm not going to yell at Mark. It doesn't hear um, the on in unlimited or the less in limitless. It would just hear a limit. So yes, mm -hmm. instead of saying, I'm not going to yell at Mark, you would say, I'm choosing to have a harmonious uh, show tonight with Mark. I'm choosing to speak to Mark with respect and tenderness. It's it's what we're choosing to do. And I, I'm so happy you asked because I cannot underscore the importance of describing our, our reality and our circumstances and our relationships the way we want them to go. Mm -hmm. It is like a bajillion times more effective right. than talking about what we're not going to do and what we don't want to do anymore and what we don't want to happen, which only yeah. gives yeah. us more of those things. <laughs> and, I mean, we see it a lot in, speaking of relationship, when you reframe the one thing as a therapist, when I work with couples, when they're perceiving the problem state, um, that's what's perpetuated. That's exactly what will continue. Mm -hmm. But if you perceive it as whatever the it is, as an opportunity or a portal to enter so that you can grow, like it's actually, there's a promise of something exciting and hopeful and evolutionary, everything changes. Everybody gets excited about the process. Do you see it that way? I absolutely see it that way. And it's such, I think that's such a great framing on it. And the, the way I look at it is, like, it, it's data. It's neutral data. Oh, here's, like, there's the, the internal noticing. Oh, here's how I'm feeling. Here's the experience. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, great. Now that I have that data, what would I prefer? And then, yeah, if it's, if it's a conversation with a partner instead of I don't like this and this doesn't work for me, say, here's what I'm craving. Here's what I would like to experience with you and put forth what we're actually wanting instead of wasting time talking about what we don't like. Right. Well, and, and one thing I find is, is so many people spend a lot of time talking about what they don't want, what they don't like, and what's wrong versus spinning yeah. it around and, you know, <laughs> taking 90% of the, the energy onto the solution and what they do want, you know, and, and it's... Absolutely. Now, do you, is that just a bad habit that we've been culturally conditioned to, or is is that what? Where does that come from? Do you think? Yeah, I think 
multiple things. I think it's a cop-out. I think it's easier. Um, it's way easier to talk about what we don't like than to be creative and put some effort into, you know, what the upgrade is going to be. And I think that we have, you know, in the West, we have a, a culture of complaining where that's lauded. And, you know, the, the sort of victim consciousness is a pervasive toxin. So, yeah, I think it's, it's just, it's laziness, and I think it's become culturally accepted, and I'm excited for us to evolve into something different. <laughs> so let's go just a little bit deeper, because I think it's one thing to become aware of your language, and it's obvious that it has a vibrational impact both on others and yourself. But when we start to look at beliefs, which are often in the unconscious to begin with, they, they may not even be... Uh, brought to consciousness yet um how does one go about using or becoming aware of language to um transform core beliefs such a great question um yeah so again it takes that really curious willingness and so um it's starting to pay attention and be mindful of our languaging patterns and noticing where we're disempowering ourselves, where we're um, describing ourselves with language that diminishes. Um, and to start to, to use those noticings as clues, you know, and, and to dig deeper. Oh, okay, I've, you know, an instance with a client who, you know, was saying a lot, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And just, and, and she had, um, she had this fear that people in her life didn't care about her. And when I tuned her attention to how often I was hearing her say this, that she would start to use that as a portal inside to see that there was this belief around not being cared for and not being deserving of care. So I think it's, it's attuning ourselves to the languaging patterns that are disempowering us and then using the instances when we hear ourselves either articulating or thinking those thoughts to dig deeper and to ask ourselves, well, what is the belief informing mm -hmm. this pattern? And is it enough to have conscious knowledge and therefore, I mean, I think specifically what I'm thinking of is, let's say somebody has a self-esteem issue. They feel unattractive. Mm -hmm. So affirmations mm -hmm. would have you walk around or bring it into your meditation. Instead of having that thought, you would change it to I am attractive. But if the core belief is I'm not, or, or it could be about safety, you know, someone has, based on trauma, some core belief that they're not safe. Just saying you're safe, changing the languaging to reflect um, being safe. Do you really think that is enough to change a core belief or is there more? Um, I think it's both. I think it's enough and I think there's more. And I think what it is, is that is um, feeling full of shit. So if I, if I have poor self-esteem and I don't think I'm attractive and someone gives me the affirmation, you know, to mm -hmm. look in the mirror and tell myself that I'm attractive a hundred times a day. Right. That's not going to feel good if it doesn't match up with the core belief. Right. Right. So the distortion that I will feel in saying this and feeling like a fraud and feeling like I'm lying in maybe starting to cry the more that I say it it's all going to drop me deeper and deeper and deeper right. into this belief and, and the origin point and to really like root it out from, from the root. And I think, so I think the languaging is a way to get there. 
um, for people who are willing and courageous um, and patient. And and then I think that we can work with these affirmations and let them take us on a journey to authenticity and to authentically rewriting that belief from an honest core place. I think I'm hearing you say, too, or at least when I'm listening to your languaging, I hear you say that as you're going deeper and deeper into the origin, that a feeling is coming up, that you're actually following a feeling in the body to that core belief, that that's what's taking you in deeper. Does that? Am I correct yeah. in hearing you? Yeah, yeah. That, that is correct, for sure. Because because as I said, when we're if when the affirmation doesn't line up with the belief, we're, it's not going to be fun mm-hmm. to say. It's mm-hmm. not gonna. It's not gonna feel good. It's gonna be weird. And so it's tracking that. The, you know, right. as, as you know, like just continue to track the feelings and let them guide us. You know, mm-hmm. take them on the ride. And I think that's why I do think that using the the affirmation would ultimately be effective because it's the trigger for the feeling right. that we want to follow. Right. And what is your favorite technique for changing self-talk for the things we say Ooh. to ourselves inside our heads, which everybody listening knows? You all have a voice, probably more than one voice. Mine's void in there. There's nothing. There's nothing on. except for Mark. Yeah. La, la, la. Just, <laughs> just a soprano singing. That, and that's why she yells and at a me. Chorus line, <laughs> and a chorus line of dancers doing high kicks. <laughs> But yes, um, for those voices well, in the head, um, do you have anything, a, a favorite tool or something you could suggest to our listeners? Because I find that that voice is often critical um, and people are always looking for ways to kind of uh, uh, shift that experience. Absolutely, yes. I, I My favorite application mm-hmm. for this languaging work is self-talk. I, I find it to be so, so effective. So... Um, what I advise a lot of people to do is to write down um, the negative thoughts, you know, as, as we notice them, and especially the ones that sound familiar, that we're likely looping dozens and dozens of times a day mm-hmm. to write them down um, and then to rewrite them in the upgrade. So if it's, you know, I'm ugly and lazy, um, then it's rewriting it to like, hmm, like what is the authentic upgrade going to be? So I'm becoming more and more productive each day or, you know, I love my graceful hands or, you know, as I, I'm a big believer in um, more is <laughs> definitely the more affirmations, the better, the more specific we can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to write as many of the upgrades as possible and then, I work with them two ways. One is every morning I will speak my date, my affirmations out loud after I meditate. Um, so, and sometimes I'll do EFT tapping when I do them. Sometimes I will not. Sometimes it just feels like enough to have like my own voice send those vibrations into the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll speak the energies that I'm choosing to embody today or, or if they are belief upgrades that I'm working with, I'll say them out loud to set um, yeah, to set my own vibrational frequency for the day. Mm-hmm. And then what I really love doing is singing them and finding a way, because so mm. often I think affirmations can be cheesy or the upgrades can be kind of cheesy. And I think for a lot of people with maybe a more like rock and roll, punk rock vibe, it can be prohibitive to sticking with affirmations. So I like to make them fun and 
you know, just come up with, like, fun melodies and kind of be groovy and silly um, and find a way to, to really enjoy um, the experience of saying mm-hmm. my affirmations. Well, and, and you that's... You know, like, I'll sing them in the car or, or whatnot. Yeah, and I think that's an important part of the process because it <clears throat> gets your body working in a completely different way as well so that they can be in line and in sync with your affirmation. Yeah. Right. Because well, music that. songs yeah. do that. It interrupts the, music the cycle. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know what I love that you mentioned, and I don't know if it's. I haven't read your book completely. We we kind of skimmed through it, but I looked at a few articles as well. And you were talking in one of them. Um, I, it really appealed to me was the word historically. And I thought, because I'm a huge, huge fan of authenticity. It's always been why I felt like an alien as a kid, I think, because I was sort of um, completely exposed and it would get me a lot of reaction, which then felt sort of alienating. But regardless, authenticity is a big deal to my heart. And so when I saw that use of the word historically, I went, oh, my God, that word could bridge authentically any affirmation because my problem with affirmations is if you're saying something and as you say inside you know that there's a part of you that doesn't believe it or you've been struggling for years then as you say the affirmation there's an immediate echo that goes that's not been the case you know it's a negative but historically kind of feels to me really benevolent it's like historically I may have struggled with da 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 but now and it opens to this fabulous hopeful feeling do you want to say a little bit more about that yes yes and I I love that 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 resonates with you so there's there's a section in my book where I talk about um, framing our shadows in the past Hmm. tense Mm -hmm. because like you I am I am devoted to authenticity and so um, there, you know, there's some ways to work with language that can be disingenuous. So mm-hmm. when we pass tense our shadows, um, you know, and historically is a great way to do it. We're being honest. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, historically, I have been prone to road rage when driving on the freeway in Los Angeles. So it's acknowledging something that has been in my makeup. And it's also acknowledging that in this moment, I'm a sovereign being who's free to make any choice that I want. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I love it. So tell them about, we're going to have to take a break in just a sec, but tell them about your word, omniscopic, if if I'm pronouncing it (laughs) the way you are. It's a great word. There's so many great words in the book. I love it. Tell them Uh what it means. Guys, so omniscopic uh, is a word that I made up. It means every moment access to every potentiality that is, was, or will be. And basically, it's a way to say limitless or unlimited without having to tether ourselves to the limitations of the word limit. (laughs) Right. So we're going to take a short break. Um, I'm just looking at Mark's yeah, Mark's uh, music list, making sure it matches up with mine. We're going to play one of my favorite tracks, be back in a minute, and dive into looking at more words that are frequently used that might generate problems and other choices that we have, because there are so many, because it is, world. the world is so omniscopic. Have I used it correctly? (laughs) Yes, A plus. (laughs) You're listening to Conscious Living Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver. Uh, 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 uh. 
I'll have to tell everybody about, about, about myself. Living Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver. I'm Tasha Sims. And I'm Mark Crum. And we're speaking with Danny Katz, and we're talking about language. We're going to just jump right back in. Okay, let's go through a bunch of really specific hacks, words that are problematic and substitutions. And, and before we do that, Danny, I want to say I really loved your book on a number of uh, different levels. Um, first, I, I love the simplicity and just the way you wrote it, and your Funny little pictures. I guess that little girl is you. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) You know, you had just some good things that were, like you made it fun, you made it playful. And the best part is you gave us 
tangible hacks that we can use on an everyday basis with our language. And they were simple and, in my opinion, easy to use once you start becoming aware of them. So I want to thank you for that, and I thought it was great. And I want to start with the first one because it's one of my favorites, and I learned this many years ago in my studies, and that was the word try. Yes. Um, Well, thank you for all your kind words. I'm glad that it's resonating. Try is, yeah, it's a bummer of a word because it's, um, try is encoded with the possibility of failure. Um, The second we utter try, we invite the possibility of failure into the room, into the endeavor at hand. Um, And it's a total cop-out because nothing on the earth Like, nothing in this reality tries except humans and who don't try, who just want an excuse to fail. It's like, I say it in the the book, grass doesn't try to grow, birds don't try to fly, Mm -hmm. Uh, grass grows, birds fly, birds fall. They don't say, I was trying to fly. You know, it's it's just like this weird (laughs) head trip that humans do to hold ourselves back. Yeah, one of the definitions I got one time that really stuck with me was it's a weak word that does not elicit maximum result potential. Yes. Spot on. Yeah. Spot on. And and, and your Jedi mind tricks, you know, your reference to Yoda and everything's with the try, it really hit home for me. So, you know, I love your Star Wars Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah, I'm <laughs> thanks for that. I'm a, I'm a dancer, and so I'll notice in dance class when um, a teacher is teaching us something that's difficult, and sh- you know, she'll say, "Well, tr- you know, try to do this or try to lift your leg." And as soon as I hear "try," I I hear her saying she doesn't have faith that we can do it. Mm-hmm. it it's um, versus like just do this, and then I get to ride on the confidence that that implies. Um, so I, I notice it a lot, like in yoga or in dance and a lot of physical things, when teachers will sort of muddy their instructions with the word try. Um, and it's like, I don't want an excuse to not be able to do it. Like, save your try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and since you're talking to a, a whole lot of Canadians right now, <laughs> we've got that word that Canadians seem so enamored with. Sorry. Hey. No, Sorry. <laughs> sorry. It's like rampant, I think, in Canadian culture. Well, it's true. So you've got a great little hack for that one. Yeah, sorry. Um, so my my thing with sorry is that it, it spreads sorrow. Uh, it is a version of the word sorrow. So it spreads sorrow vibes into the collective field. And as well, it puts us, it's another hi- subtle hierarchical word because we're deferring to someone else and kind of placing ourselves beneath to raise the other person up. Um, and I get that it's, it's like this sort of unconscious social strategy that we don't really need anymore. So um, when we say sorry, so much of the time we're not actually apologizing. We're just acknowledging that like, oh, I bumped into someone or I came out of the public restroom and wasn't expecting to see someone waiting. So um, we'll we'll throw out sorry, and it's not the right word. My favorite replacement for sorry is surprise, Um, because as as (laughs) you both have hinted to with the book, I'm I'm really attuned to fun and and play, Um, because those are, you know, that's what I want out of my Earth existence. So when we say surprise, we're acknowledging that, yes, I, you know, 
bumped you with my elbow or Surprise. I was expecting to see you outside the restroom and let's celebrate. It's cute um, and immediately connects you to the person, right? It's just like as if you have some intimate relationship and it's their birthday. And and it's a great pattern exactly. interrupt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what what yeah, about it's disarming in, in the best of ways. Yeah. You also suggested thank you instead of sorry, right? Thank you, I love, and thank you is is more grounded, and and uh, you don't need to be an extrovert to be able to use the thank you, and it's it's acknowledging that this is a shared Earth moment, it's a shared human moment. So if I'm, you know, meandering my way through a crowded party and I jostle someone and spill my beverage on her. Um, Thank you for allowing me to uh, see that I would be wise to be more careful. <laughs> I would be wise to look where I'm going. Um, so it's acknowledging that, like, yes, you and I are sharing a momentary quantum entanglement, and I'm also learning from it. So thank you for being part of my moment and my earth walk. Mm-hmm. I love it. Let's keep going. You also, the, the other one I liked was as I versus when I. Yes, I love that one so much. So when, um, I offer when as an upgrade for if, and this is in a section where that mm-hmm. I call procrastination speak. Um, and so when we say, you know, if, you know, if I publish my book, similar to try, I'm offering the possibility of failure into my vibrational field. Um, So I prefer either when I publish my book or as I am publishing my book, um, which is great because when kind of nudges it into the future and as I X, Y, Z brings it into the present moment. So it's both affirmative and present moment. Right. And again, the unconscious only speaks present. It doesn't really, like the future would be in the present moment. The past would be in the present moment. Everything's right now. Yeah? Exactly. Exactly. And when we language things in in future, not only does the subconscious mind not grasp it, the larger universal forces that are dealing with sort of like a a fractal quantum reality are like, well, which future are you talking about? You know, like five minutes, five years, five eons. It's too vague. Right. (laughs) Do you have some other ones you want to share with us? I'd like to Uh, run through my... I've got a list, Danny. I I went through your book and... um, there, there are some I thought were just really practical for the average everyday person. Um, and Great. one of them is, you know, the word can't, which, you know, again, we're talking about, you know, that, you know, the not recognizing the negative. But what else, what would you use instead of saying I can't do something? Um, I say I'm making a different choice or I'm not going to do that or I'm not aligned with that or um, that's not feeling resonant with me, it, it's a little, camp is a little bit sticky because um, there are so many different reasons why people misuse can't. And a big one is this sort of codependent responsibility that we're unconsciously taking for other people's feeling state. So a lot of times we'll say, you know, like to, to refer back to my the example I posed earlier, like, oh, I can't play racquetball with you. It's a way to sort of soften the blow and allegedly to not hurt someone else's feelings. So it's not that I'm going to make a different choice or I'm not going to do that. It's like, oh, I can't because I'm a victim 
to, you know, the taxes situation, Mm -hmm. but I really want to. And it it gets kind of like weird and sticky on an emotional level versus me saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm already scheduled to do my taxes. We'll do it another time. Um, I'm not doing that weird sort of distorted trying to soften the blow thing. And I'm trusting that you have enough emotional intelligence to handle (laughs) me saying no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Awesome. And another one I thought was always um, really important in today's language world is the word, but. Yeah. So um, when the subconscious mind hears the word, but it discounts, all the information that preceded the but. So if I say, um, I really like your radio show, but I'm not into any of the music that you play. Um, The subconscious mind doesn't hear the I really like your radio show. It just hones in on I don't like the music. Um, And so it was, and but as well as it's a no. Um, Like there are words that exist us and their words that cause contraction but is an instant contraction um it just shuts us down and puts us like on a on a subconscious level on the defensive because we're not being fully unconditionally accepted Mm -hmm. love it did that make sense yeah no absolutely yeah yeah and then there was another one when you talked about the absolutes and using words like never and always Yeah, so never and always have a few downsides. Um, As far as uh, instructions that we send to the universe, they're they're, they're very (laughs) far-reaching. So if if I say, oh, I always date um, broke guys who cheat on me, I'm instructing the universe, hey, let's perpetuate this pattern through eternity. Um, And then as it comes to the way uh, the mind works and specifically the way the ego works is that when we hear absolutes like never and always, the ego immediately busies itself with the task of trying to find exceptions because the ego loves to argue and it loves to be right. So if you said, if you said to me like, Danny, you're, you know, anytime we make plans, you're always late. Um, Instead of being able to have a conversation about, you inviting me to manage my time differently, my mind is now occupied with looking for times that I wasn't late. And I'm, and I'm off on this tangent, and now my, and as well, like instead of being able to have a diplomatic conversation about what's really going on and why it isn't working for you and what you would prefer, the, the ego is sort of running the show and is just gonna try to win. Um, so it's super inefficient to speak in absolute plus, it's rarely true. You know, like there are generally exceptions. Um, so it's not an accurate way um, to, to speak or to communicate. And are there any that we've missed that um, you think are extremely uh, common and need to be commented on in terms of how they could be hacked, shifted? Two, two that are coming to mind that I hear most regularly are I can't afford it Mm -hmm. um, which I encourage uh, everyone listening to never say again and I'm going to stick with that never never never. that's a conscious Um, absolute yeah that is a absolute I love that it's a conscious absolute Um, 
Because as, as I was explaining before, to say I can't afford it disempowers us to the numbers in our checking account or to the bills in our wallet. Um, and it, it's just orienting us um, at a, in a victim vibration versus saying I'm not budgeted for that or actually, you know, a steak dinner isn't the wisest use of my abundance or no, I'm, I'm not feeling aligned with that choice, something like that. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's one that I, I hear myself correcting super often. And then the other one, and I think I might have already mentioned it, is I don't have time. Um, and I know most humans alive in the Western world, we're all in our own relationship with time and, you know, maybe dabbling with the idea that there isn't enough of it. And um, the reality is... is the present moment is all there is, and so if we're, if we're here and we're having this present moment, then we can do with it whatever we want. Um, again, it's placing us instead of below time. If you're if you can envision like a hierarchical, you know, like if you put time on a pedestal and you're standing beneath it, like looking up, um, versus putting ourselves on top of time. Um, so a lot of what I do is invite people to adjust their languaging to put themselves on top of every circumstance in their life so they're not victimized to it. So instead of I don't have time, um, it's say, you know, it's not the wisest use of my time or I'm choosing to do something else. Um, but to be mindful of where we are giving our power away to these concepts like time and money. Mm -hmm. If language was a soul food or a heart food versus the typical mind diet that most people exist mm. on, what words right. would be most delicious? Mm. I love yes. Mm. I really love yes, and I find in so many situations in life, I mean, yes, beyond just the word as a lens of perception, just noticing in conversations with people maybe where we have different beliefs or maybe they're just not feeling super juicy to me or maybe they're talking about things that I think I'm not interested in, that if I say yes and if I embody yes and I challenge myself to expand into whatever is being presented, um, it's more fun, there's more space to find mm -hmm. the Venn diagram of shared humanity and shared interest. Um, it's, there's just more information comes from saying yes. It's such an open word. I do a talk called The Color of Yes, mm. because it, it actually has Ooh. a color. If you, you know, if it, it becomes such a, you can wear yes. <laughs> it's couture. <laughs> I love that. Well, and that's funny because it really. Is everyone's yes the same color? No. <laughs> but you know what's funny with the word no? I'm just going to sidebar because I had somebody use the word. We were talking about yes and no and using it as a way to trust your intuition to bring up a visual and actually add it to, you know, giving yourself that, that, playful um relationship with trusting your intuition intuition bring in a visual and they said the word yes and then they said the word no and their face scowly got so scowly and and puckered and i went what's the reaction to no like yes and no are are they're beautiful words they're both beautiful words they can be if you're you know if you're saying no to 
something you'd like to say no to. Like, it's not necessarily a negative, Why the word no. Why are you looking no. at me like that when you say no, Tasha? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we only have, you know, a few more minutes, and I want to make sure we talk about your workshop, because you're coming into Vancouver at the end of April. Tell our listeners what you're offering, where, and anything else you want to say about it. Sure. So um, I am offering a three-hour interactive workshop called Word Up, um, Empower Yourself and the World with Quantum Languaging. And I'm doing three. So the first one is going to be at Doghouse Yoga on April 27th. And then I'm doing one at Ohana Yoga on the 28th and one at Generative Nest on the 30th and it's all about empowerment and learning um you know learning about how to spot hierarchy in words and learning how to hone in on word vibrational frequencies and how to have your own embodied experience and then learning how to rewrite our disempowering thought patterns and languaging patterns um, for the infinitely more empowering. So everyone will leave the workshop with tangible upgrades that they can play with themselves. And how intimate will it be? Are these smaller workshops, larger? They are smaller workshops. They're small enough so that um, we can all workshop our, our beliefs and our thoughts together and there's time for Q&A and Yes, they are mm-hmm. smaller. And I think we're capping them around like 20. And tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, your website, and any information you've got like that. Everything to be found can be uh, tracked through my website, which is dannycats.com. And there are lots of offshoots and links from there that will take you to my quantum lending site and to the workshop description my YouTube channel, which features quantum languaging hacks and planetary service announcements, to my Instagram account, my articles, to all of it. So I'd love it if you challenged our listeners, if you really sort of spoke directly to them and offered them a specific, tangible challenge they could take on, even if it was just for a week, to see if there's a difference. Can you do that? Can you kind of do it off the top of your head? Yeah, no complaining. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Straight up, no complaining. Speak uh, what inspires you, speak what you want, speak what you like, speak what's working for you, ask for upgrades, ask for what you want, um, and do not complain. (laughs) What's an upgrade? What do you mean by upgrade? you got to tell them that. An upgrade would be, um, like... Uh, these work relationally. So if something isn't working for us, like if, if you're speaking to me in a way that is triggering for me, to say, you know what, I would love it if you could speak to me a little bit slower and a little bit softer. So to make clear requests about what we want to experience. Hmm, I like that because then there's no blame involved. It's not making someone else wrong for delivering it their way. You're actually just asking for what would work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Super exactly. cool. So you suggest that this kind of work can have some evolutionary implications, and I wonder if we can just start to or, or even revolutionary. She has a little bracket with an R in front of evolution in her <laughs> words. Okay, why don't we touch yes, on that? Bo- both. Um, 
So right now, uh, there seems to be a lot of of division and, and fragmentation happening in our culture. And so my theory is that that's because our language, which, as I've stated, is the fundamental building block of every single shred of our reality, um, because our language is unconsciously embedded with hierarchy, with limitation, with lack, and with um, separation, you know, with, with languaging that alleges that we are separate. And so my sense is that, well, I think it's laudable that people are putting, you know, positive energy into figuring out solutions and new ways to structure various systems um, to upgrade our culture that are our swiftest and most efficient way to upgrade our culture and our world is to upgrade our language. Um, and once we attune ourselves, to where we are speaking lack and limitation and disempowerment, and we can ourselves make those adjustments such that we're speaking inclusion and equality and empowerment and inspiration, um, that is how our world will shape itself very organically um, and very quickly. That's my sense. I love it. Well, it's been really fun talking with you tonight. Yeah, thank you so much, Danny. I actually look forward to, to seeing you at the end of the month when you come to Vancouver. I'm going to pop in on one of your workshops. Oh, yay! And Danny's, yeah, Danny's, Danny's book again, Word Up, Little Languaging Hacks for Big Change. And I understand it topped Amazon's best-selling self-help list at the 21 spot. So congrats. That's pretty yeah, cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. Thank you and, and, and so much. And for our listeners, all the information is available on ConsciousLivingRadio.org. It's up there now, so you can get some links and some more information on Danny's work. Thanks, Danny. Everyone have a great night, and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Conscious Living Radio, 100.5 FM in Vancouver. Good night. Oh